0: Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, it says, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, well, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul has been talking about how God is going to deal with Israel Paul has given the Romans an overview of Israel's spiritual past in chapter 9 and Israel's spiritual condition currently in chapter 10. And now he's giving us a brief word of hope concerning Israel's future repentance and future restoration in chapter 11. If the Bible has anything to say, it has a lot to say about God's unique plan and specific role for the Jewish people and for the Jewish nation and then for the surrounding nations. God has a plan. It continues to unfold. And so Paul offers a series of proofs. A series of evidence that God isn't finished with the Jew or the Jewish people. He offers his own testimony as proof in verse 1. He offers God's faithful remnant as proof in verses 2 through 10. And now Paul offers a kind of dispensational proof that the fall of Israel has contributed to the rise of the Gentiles as recipients of God's grace, of recipients of God's mercy, and recipients of God's love in Christ Paul has argued that if Israel's fall has brought these kinds of blessings to the world, can you imagine what their restoration will bring when in submission and obedience? They embrace grace. They trust Jesus. Paul seems certain that there is a future for Israel, both as a people and as a nation. And Paul will now use an illustration, the illustration of the olive tree. God has allowed a branch to be broken off. He uses it as a metaphor to graft in the Gentiles. Paul refers to the Gentiles as a wild branch, contrary to nature in verse 24. In ancient times, there was a practice That you would graft a good branch onto a poor stock. You wouldn't graft poor stock or undomesticated stock into a good tree. And so Paul is going to use this as a metaphor for spiritual privileges. And as he does so, he's going to issue a series of warnings. Israel's fall. And the rise of the Gentiles becomes a type, a picture, an illustration of goodness and severity. The fact that God has severed Israel and placed the Gentiles into a place of privilege isn't supposed to be a cause for arrogance or pride. God has the ability to add and subtract, to graft, to remove. And again, there seems to be some prophetic indication that this is a fact and and not just a foregone conclusion, that at the end of the age, at the end of the age, as we rush into the future, as we see what's going to unfold, that there's going to be a dramatic thing that's going to take place I suspect, in the not-too-distant future, that the Gentile forces will form a coalition, and at the heart of that coalition, there will be a perverse agenda. It will be the rejection of God. It will be the rejection of Christ. It will be the rejection of the gospel. It will be a substantial plan to annihilate the Jewish people and the Jewish nation, and at that time, God will call out His true church, He will judge the Gentile nations. He will purge and restore Israel. And that there is going to be a promised kingdom and that that kingdom is going to come to pass. The context seems to require that Paul isn't speaking of the breaking off of true believers from the body of Christ, but rather, Paul has already argued persuasively that there is no separation from Christ for the true believer. Remember in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, he talks about we are one in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation, that God is causing all things to work together for good. And what can separate us from the love of God? Paul knows that even at this point in church history, the visible church was primarily made up of Gentile people, of Romans and Greeks, of people who had come to Christ in Asia and Macedonia. And so, because the visible church is primarily made of Gentile people, We benefit greatly from the spiritual heritage of the nation of Israel in verse 16. He'll use the illustration of the olive tree in verses 17 and 18. And since God loves the Jewish people and he wants to receive them and restore them to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is trying to give the Gentiles a kind of an attitude check. How should the the Gentiles react? No boasting in verses 17 and 18. No pride in verses 19 and 20. No presumption in verses 21 through 24. Paul knows that with spiritual privilege comes spiritual dangers. Arrogance in verse 18. Complacency and unbelief in verses 19 through 21. And so Paul says, I need to shake you a little bit and have you consider both the severity and the goodness of God in verse 22. And so Paul is going to do two things. He's going to encourage himself. I know that might seem odd to you, but remember how he began In chapter 10, verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they will be saved. And so he's comforting himself, knowing that God has a plan, knowing that God has a future, knowing that God has unfinished business with the Jewish people. Knowing that there is restoration for both Gentile and Jew. For everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus by faith. And so we begin. Avoid boasting. Look at verse 17. He says, and if some of the branches were broken off. And you, you, you being a wild branch. A wild olive tree. Were grafted in among them. And with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Again, Paul will use an illustration, a metaphor from agriculture. Paul will use a clever play on words. The word klados translates the word branches. And then he uses another word, ecleo. It translates the word break off. Or broken off. And the verb. Enkintridzo. It's grafted in. This word. Enkintridzo. Is only found here. In the Greek New Testament. It's an interesting word. Because it's derived from a Greek word. Kintron. Which means. A sting. It was a word that was used to describe what would take place when you would cut something. Now, again, in the ancient world, they didn't have papyri cuts. They would have sharp knives. And if you've ever cut yourself, if you've ever sliced your finger, if you've ever been cutting something and you you cut yourself, there is this sting. And so the emphasis was on the incision. You see, you might have a picture of a branch being grabbed and, and sort of mutilated or broken off, but... In the ancient world, you would cut the tree or you would cut the vine. You would take a cultivated or a domesticated plant and you would graft it into a wild tree or into a wild grapevine. And Paul realizes that this, that the normal or the natural process has been reversed in the illustration that he's using. When he says, and become partakers of the root and the fatness. Weymouth translates this, a sharer in the rich sap. Moffat, share in the rich growth of the olive stem. The RSV, share in the richness. So the picture is the spiritual richness, uh, uh, the spiritual benefits. Benefits. So Paul uses the image of an olive tree. He's using the image of the olive tree as a kind of salvation tree. Believing Gentiles in the church age are grafted in to God's tree of salvation. And so Paul refers to the Gentiles in this particular illustration as being wild. Not in the sense of the 60s, you know, born to be wild. Not that kind of sense in the sense of not domesticated. And like I said, under normal circumstances, when the wild is grafted onto the good, the ancient people believed that the good would be overwhelmed and conquered by the wild. However, when the good is grafted into the wild, just the opposite takes place. The idea is that the good or the domesticated features of the plant will overwhelm and conquer the wild. So the branches broken off represent the unbelieving Jews. Rejection of the Messiah has resulted in the removal of the spiritual privileges. And you need to understand this. If you don't get anything else I say this morning, understand this. There are no spiritual privileges. Without grace, without the gospel, without Christ. There are no spiritual privileges without grace, without Christ without the gospel. And the reason why this becomes important for each and every one of us is because there's something inside of us that wonders if just being spiritual or just being religious is that good enough to somehow get God's attention where he goes, look at these people acting all spiritual and stuff. Look at them praying and and doing religious deeds. Look Look at them participating in religious rituals and ceremonies. Surely all of this has to mean something. And Paul says, They mean nothing. A godly remnant remains. And so the branches are broken off. They represent the unbelieving Jews. And rejection of the Messiah has resulted in some of them being removed. But remember only some of them. Because Paul writes, but but only some of the branches were removed. That means some remain. A godly remnant remains including Paul himself, who has believed the gospel and believed the Messiah. And the wild olive tree refers to the Gentiles, who now share a favor once reserved for Israel and now retained by a remnant in the believer's a uh, bible commentary william macdonald points out and i quote that the wild olive branch is not the church but the gentiles viewed collectively otherwise you face the possibility of true believers being cut off from god's favor paul has already shown That's impossible. Romans 8, 38 and 39. What will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? And so in the illustration, it's important to remember that the tree trunk, the roots or the tree trunk, doesn't necessarily refer to Israel, but rather to the origins of God's line of privilege through the centuries. The the root And the privileges come all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Enoch. All the way back to Noah. All the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is important that you understand about the meaning of the root. The root are all of those men and women who by faith believed in the promises of God. And so... The illustration is supposed to point out the origins of God's lines of privileges. And the wild olive tree is not the church, but the Gentile nations. Again, MacDonald uses the expression lines of privilege. He defines it this way quote, God decided to set apart a certain people to occupy a place of privilege, of nearness to himself. They would be set apart from the rest of the world and they would have special privileges. They would enjoy what we might call favored nation status. In the different ages of history, he would have a special inner circle. And the nation of Israel was the first in that line of privilege. Now when you think about that and you start taking it to its logical conclusion, some people, I think, in a wrong-headed way, have concluded that the church occupies the place of privilege. But again, the church has not replaced Israel in God's future plan or God's future revelation of what's going to take place. And by the way, when we get to verse 25 and we continue on, in the chapter i'm going to be talking a little bit about what those future plans are going to look at like god in his grace and his mercy has allowed israel's stumbling to open the door for salvation for the gentile nations and so in verse 18 he says do not boast against the branches if you do boast remember that you do not support the root But the root supports you. Paul uses the illustration and metaphor as a warning against boasting or bragging or arrogance. Does this new status give Gentiles a right to elevate themselves at the expense of the Jewish people? What do you think the answer is? Remember, he condemns Jewish arrogance and he condemns Gentile arrogance? Paul's answer is no. And Paul will persuasively again argue if God didn't spare the original branch, we have every reason to believe he won't spare the grafted branch in verse 21. So do the Gentiles have anything to brag about? Do we adopt an air of self-righteousness or superiority or holiness? Do Gentiles have the right to to claim a superior place or a superior race? Such boasting overlooks everything that Paul is saying. The fact that the line of privilege doesn't originate with the Gentiles... Paul condemns Gentile arrogance towards the Jewish people. When he says, you do not support the root. Now again, we Gentiles are the beneficiaries of those promises that are given to Abraham. And particularly we are beneficiaries if we've received his grace. If we've received mercy. If we've received Christ. Remember, the reoccurring theme in the New Testament Jesus is our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. Our inheritance isn't a land, it's a person. Our inheritance isn't a law unless it's the law of love, because our law is in Christ. Our law is what Jesus says and commands us to do. Our day is not a day of worship, whether it's Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. We worship the Lord. You see, the Christian doesn't have a day of rest. They have a person that they rest in every day. Do you know what that means? You're free to love and trust and worship Jesus on Saturdays. And Sundays. And Mondays. And Tuesdays. And if you're really crazy, if you're like really off the charts, you could come to church on Wednesday. There's year round. Now again when he says you do not support the root. The root supports you. This is illustrated by Galatians chapter 3 verse 7. Paul writing to the Galatians says they that are of faith. The same are the sons of Abraham. and, And even he speaks of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit as In in Galatians 3.14, the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus coming upon the Gentiles. What if I told you that the root isn't Jewish customs and Jewish traditions? What if I told you that the root is the root of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that the real root, the true root, the sap that flows is salvation by faith. Believing God by faith. That the real energy, the real root, the real sap, the real lifeblood of true understanding and having a right relationship with God is believing everything that he says is true by faith. In spite of your circumstances. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4 verse 11. And he, speaking of Abraham, received the sign of circumcision. A seal of the righteousness of the faith. Which he had while still uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised. Do you understand what Paul is saying? That there are people who, do, who believe, who aren't circumcised. And the reason why we can refer to them as believers is because they're believers by faith. By faith. By faith they believe that what God says is true. That there's forgiveness of sin in Christ. That there's redemption and reconciliation in Jesus. And so based on that truth, now think about it though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. That is for those who believe, and this is important, for those who believe without becoming Jews. That's what he's talking about. And based on that truth, based on the truth that the root does not support the branches, don't be arrogant. Don't be high-minded. And again, towards who? I think we could safely say towards each other, but that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is towards the unbelieving Jewish people. What Paul is doing is he's making a statement that anti-Semitism, Jewish hostility is not going to be something that's that's ever a good thing. There is a grave danger. There's a grave danger in forgetting our roots, believing Jews and believing Gentiles are the spiritual descendants and the beneficiaries of faithful Abraham. And remember, we're blessed, we're blessed because we've been grafted into Abraham's covenant of salvation. Paul anticipates An imaginary Gentile's response in verse 19. He says, you will say then, well the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Paul knew that some would be tempted by pride to elevate the Gentile at Jewish expense. But again, it's always, always, always a danger to despise the Jew or persecute the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, William Newell called this one of the three great scandals of all of human history. The first great scandal he writes about was the persecution of the prophets by the Jewish people. The second great scandal was the repeated persecution by the Roman Catholic Church towards those who witnessed to the testimony of the gospel of grace, of salvation by grace, of salvation in Christ, of a righteousness that's not based on religion, but on a righteousness that's based on grace and faith. It's interesting to me that Newell was certainly aware of the great pagan persecutions by the Romans and by the Muslims, but he doesn't mention those because he was thinking it makes perfect sense to him that unbelievers would persecute believers, but that believers would participate in such wickedness is inexcusable. What excuse can Christians give for Jewish animosity? That is the right answer. The right answer is none. There is no excuse. There is no excuse. And so in verse 20, he says, Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty. That means high-minded. But fear. Paul admits that the statement is true. That's why he says in verse 20, Well said. He admits that the statement is true that Israel has been cut off and that the Gentile has been grafted in. It is a true statement, but it's not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's only partially true. In what sense? Again, Jewish branches are broken off. Gentile branches are grafted in. But remember why that is. Paul gives the reason. Because of Jewish unbelief. It isn't because of Gentile superiority. It isn't because of Gentile intellectuality. It isn't because of Gentile resources. No, the Jewish branches were broken off in part From unbelief and apostasy. And Gentile branches are grafted in because of faith. Now, I want you to think this through. The grafting in comes by faith in Jesus. By grace. The grafting in is a confidence in the reality that there is a Jewish Messiah. And that that Jewish Messiah is Jesus Christ the Lord. There's no inherent racial or national superiority. There is no inherent linguistic or cultural superiority. This isn't genetic. This isn't racial. This isn't linguistic. This isn't cultural. This is an issue of faith and unbelief. And once again, we have to keep in mind that Paul speaks of the Gentiles as a people group. As nation groups, the Gentiles as a people group are grafted in because they stand by faith. Chinese people are grafted in by faith in Christ. Muslim people or Arab people or Asian people or African people, people from the North Pole and the South Pole and every single time zone are grafted in by faith and confidence in the person of Jesus and what Jesus has done. As a matter of fact, in a comparative sense, when he talks about this, We keep in mind that he's talking about a Gentile people group. They're grafted in. Why? 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 Because they're exercising faith in Christ. Jesus spoke of Gentile faith in the story of the centurion. Do you remember in Luke chapter 7 verse 9? There was a a man who was sick and a centurion called for Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll go to your place and I'll heal your servant. And the centurion bowed his head and he said, I'm not worthy to receive you. Just say the word and my servant will be... And Jesus, I know it's going to come as a shock and a surprise. Jesus is blown away. Now, whenever you read in the New Testament, Jesus is surprised by anything, you should take note of that. What are you saying? I'm a man in authority. I know what it means to be in authority. If I say to a person, go, they go. And if I say to a person, stay, they say, they stay. Romans knew about discipline and the chain of command. It was never violated. And the centurion understood that if Jesus said, go, if Jesus said, stay, if Jesus just simply said, you're healed, That you would be healed. Paul would later say to the Jews at Rome. In Acts chapter 28 verse 28. Therefore let it be known to you. That the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will hear it. It was his way of saying. What the Jewish people refused to embrace. What they refused to hear. What they refused to embrace. And what they refused to hear. The Gentile would hear it. That the Gentile would be receptive to the gospel. When you would say to a Chinese person or an African person or a South American person or a person anywhere in the world. And you would say, do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want to experience God's grace and mercy? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to have a right relationship with God in Christ? Well, what do I have to do? You have to believe that Jesus is the Lord. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is the Lord, you'll be saved. The Gentiles would say, we're in I'm willing to do that. But there are so many people who would say it can't possibly be that easy. It couldn't possibly be that simple. Paul says, well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. But you stand by faith remember what standing is it's the opposite of falling and israel has fallen out of the place of privilege paul writes to the corinthians in chapter 10 verse 12 therefore let him who think he stands take heed lest he fall paul's warning includes an explanation here because of unbelief they were broken off, and a call to examination. You stand by faith and don't be haughty, but fear. In Proverbs 16:5, the, the writer says, "The Lord detests everyone who is proud of heart. And so Paul's caution: be careful. Have a righteous fear. Have a decency. Understand and resist strongly any temptation to personal arrogance. Any temptation to pride. Resist it. Resist conceit in verse 20. Resist high-mindedness. And by the way, fear is the opposite of high-mindedness. Here, fear is connected to a word that means humility. Humility. And so here, fear means instead of being up here in your personal evaluation, take the lower place. It means have a conscious sense of your unworthiness. Why? Because of verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either now remember the natural branches jewish people may not spare you gentile people i want you to think carefully if the gentiles forget that they're saved by sin through christ if the gentiles forget god's goodness if they neglect god's judge justice if they exaggerate self-importance if they cultivate pride or high-mindedness if they boast and Embrace pride and arrogance. There's no special favors. There's no special place of privilege. And now I have to repeat what I said earlier. There is no Gentile privileges apart from grace. Apart from the gospel. Apart from Christ. Well, this is America. No privileges apart from grace, apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. But this is America, and we live in a pluralistic society. And guess what? The gospel offends people, and grace annoys people. There's no special privileges apart from grace and apart from Christ. But I want special privileges apart from grace, and apart from Christ there are no special privileges apart from grace and apart from Christ and apart from the gospel if the gentiles if the gentiles if the if the gentiles forget that they're saved from sin by Christ if the gentiles forget God's goodness if they neglect God's justice if they embrace boasting pride and arrogance if they begin to depend upon religion instead of relationship with Christ, then they're going to be in trouble. The visible, organizational, institutional church throughout the centuries has largely been made up of Gentiles. But what happens when a church abandons grace, abandons the gospel, abandons Christ... The Bible has a a word for them. The word is apostate. Is there a special privilege if if you use the name Jesus or you use the name Christ or you even include Jesus or Christ in your name or your denomination but you flatly refuse salvation by grace? You flatly refuse Jesus. You flatly refuse the gospel. Does that mean that all of the other religious nonsense is going to ingratiate God to you, what do you think the answer is? The answer is no. Gentiles that reject Christ's deity, when they deny salvation by grace, when they dismiss the essential teachings of Jesus and the apostles, an apostate church receives no more special favors Than an apostate Israel. Jesus warned the church in Pergamum you also have some who, in the same way, hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. That means a priesthood, a contrast between the clergy and the laity. He writes, You repent therefore, or else I'm coming quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth in Revelation chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. The church at Laodicea feared no better, or fared no better. Jesus promised that a half-hearted, half-baked believer, neither cold nor hot, would be spit Out of Jesus' mouth in disgust. And so he writes in verse 22. Therefore consider, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, think Israel, severity. But toward you, think Gentiles, goodness. If you continue in his goodness... Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And when you're looking at goodness, I want you to think about three things. Jesus, the gospel, and grace. Do you want to know why? Because Jesus is his goodness. Grace is his goodness. The gospel is his goodness. By the way, the word goodness means Uprightness in the original language. It was a word that meant kindness. It meant generosity. And the word severity. It only appears here in the Greek New Testament. It's the Greek word apotomia. It means cut off. The the implication meaning an abrupt judgment from God on those who insist on persistent disobedience. The picture, the image that I want you to have is of a great big knife that is as sharp as a razor as the branch gets severed in one clean stroke. He uses the term fell, pipto, those who fell. And when it uses the word fell here, it doesn't mean stumble. It doesn't mean trip. It doesn't mean in the sense that, oh, I lost my balance and I've fallen over. The implication of this particular word is a word that means to fall in such a way that you're completely ruined. It's a dramatic warning. Paul is speaking of a very serious spiritual condition in which people fall. From opportunity into judgment. And so when he's talking about falling from opportunity into judgment. This is why living in a place where people can preach the gospel and reach the lost. We're talking about, you know what is the most wonderful thing? There's so many wonderful things about the country in which we live in. But there is nothing more greater than the opportunities that are here. The opportunities to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, to embrace the gospel. And I'm going to suggest to you that we begin to evaluate countries in terms of freedom. In terms of the freedom to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and to embrace the gospel. Every advantage and opportunity is given and he warns those who identify themselves With grace and the gospel and Christ. To continue in it. Continue in the goodness of the Lord. Continue in the kindness of the Lord. Persevere. That becomes a kind of evidence of saving faith and a genuine change of heart. Paul calls on the reader to consider two facets of God's character. And this becomes really important. Most people are really, really happy to consider the goodness of God. But they're really reluctant to consider the severity. You know, I believe in a God who, who loves. Good for you. I believe in a God who's good. Good for you. I believe in a God who's kind. Good for you. I believe in a God who's merciful. Good for you. I don't believe in a God who judges anybody. Then you don't believe in the God of the Bible. You don't believe in a God who upholds justice, who affirms righteousness. The Jewish people were given an enormous privilege. And they fell into unrighteousness, and they fell into pride, and they fell into haughtiness. And in that unrighteousness and pride and haughtiness, there was a sense in which the Jewish person said, I'm glad to be a Jew, happy to be a Jew, not happy to be a Christian. I will not. I refuse. I won't embrace Jesus as the Messiah. You know, judgment has been called God's strange work. It's called strange, I think, because people really wonder whether or not God will do what God says he will do. The Gentiles can expect goodness if they continue in goodness. And the Gentiles can expect severity if they embark on a course of rejecting Jesus rejecting the gospel rejecting grace remember paul encouraged the gentiles in ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 therefore remember that you you once gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without christ Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope. Being without God. In the world. But now. But now. But now. Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. You who once were far off. Have been made near. By the blood of Jesus. That means the sacrifice of Jesus. And so in verse 23 he says, And they also, speaking of the Jewish people, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. Paul asks the question that every Jewish person really wants to know. Can they they come back? Can Israel come back? Can Israel come back? If you're not in a place of privilege, if you're you're in a place apart from grace, if you're in a place apart from the gospel, if you're in a place where you're apart from Christ, can you come back? Can you come back? Can you come back? And the answer is, of course. Look what he says. If they abandon unbelief and embrace belief. Now, again, does this mean belief in God? It can't mean that, because do Jewish people believe in God? Do they believe in the God of Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and David? Do they believe in that God? Of course they do. So, what is the belief that they're talking about? It's a belief in Jesus, isn't it? It's a belief in grace, isn't it? It's a belief in the gospel. If they abandon unbelief and embrace the Messiah, there's no single reason, there's not a single reason why Israel can't return to the place of privilege. There's only one reason why they can't return, for the same reason that you're reading in the text. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, what will happen if they continue in unbelief? That's right. In verse 24 it says, For if they were cut off of the olive tree, for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own tree? Do you understand what Paul is saying? What Paul is saying is this. It was way easier... I'm going to put it this way. It will be way easier for the Lord to sever the Gentile branch and reconnect the Jewish branch because they share the same DNA. They share the same identity. I, I would use a little bit different illustration. What do you think is going to be easier for a body to reject? Foreign tissue or its own tissue? A body can reject foreign tissue, but it won't reject native tissue. William MacDonald writes, quote, In fact, it would be a much less violent process for God to reinstate Israel as his privileged people than it was to put the Gentiles into that place. The people of Israel were the original branches in the tree of God's favor, and so they are called natural branches. The Gentile branches came From a wild olive tree. To graft a wild branch into a cultivated olive tree. Is an unnatural graft. Or as Paul says. Contrary to nature. To graft natural branches into their original cultivated olive tree. Is a natural process. Unquote. And Paul says. So I need to warn you. There's no place for arrogance. There's no place for pride. There's no place for presumption. There's no, no, no place for Jewish hostility. Dr. Harry Ironside would say, beware, lest we mistake our prejudices for our convictions, unquote. Paul, he understands that God has a plan That there's a future, that God is not finished with the Jew. Maybe one of the most exciting passages in all of the scripture gives that promise. I'm gonna close with it. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, the prophet Zechariah says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn, unquote. Zechariah envisions a time when the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, filled with the spirit of grace and prayer, see Jesus! Jesus! And they'd understand what was so impossible to understand before. That Jesus is the source of forgiveness. That Jesus is the source of life. That Jesus is the source of grace and mercy. You know, according to Jewish tradition, when Jacob heard that Joseph was dead, every single day, For 21 years, every single day, every single day, every single day, he wept for his son. He wept for Joseph. He would begin his day by weeping for the son who is gone. The second day, and the the first year, and the second year, and the third year, and the fifth year, and the tenth year, and the eleventh year, and the twelfth year. And there would be people who would say, can't you just get over it? Can't you just get over the fact that you've lost your son and he's gone forever? But there was never closure. There was never closure. He wept for him every day. He wanted him every single day. And so you can imagine on the 21st year when he's reconciled with his son, that there is just this enormous outpouring of emotion. And the same will be true when Israel recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, Zechariah sees a future where the Jewish people are reconciled and restored. Paul sees a future where the Jews are reconciled and restored. John The apostle in the book of Revelation sees a future where the Jews are reconciled and restored. That's part of what I'm hoping you'll see. That you'll begin to understand that the reason why the Jewish past is so important to you because it's a part of your spiritual heritage. And that the present condition of the Jewish people are in part largely due to an animosity and a prejudice that is completely disconnected from what the Bible says and that their future is your future. It's a future filled with grace. It's a future where you accompany Jesus forever and ever. But Paul isn't done yet with Israel's future, so neither am I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we know that sometimes it's hard for us to understand, well, what does this have to do with me? Lord, it has everything to do with us. Because we begin to understand, because you kept your promises to Israel, you'll keep your promises to us. If you're fair with Israel, you'll be fair with us. If you're just with Israel, you'll be just with us. If you love them, then you will love us. And so, Heavenly Father, again, we pray that you would awaken in our hearts and cause us to contemplate just what the future might hold. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.